Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's Sexplanations with Dr. Doe. Sexplanations podcast episode 86. I am talking with a professional podcaster, someone who has 14 years of experience, way more than I do, um, but is here not because you are so great with sound and editing and telling stories, but because I want to talk about uh, fails. Do you know this? Do you know that that you've been hand-selected for this particular topic? No. Okay. <laughs> so um, the the kind of premise along this explanation's um podcast is to reflect back on episodes that we have done on the YouTube channel. And I did one on sex analogy fails Mm -hmm. about how sex education in our country in particular is riddled with misinformation. And I I wouldn't even call it sex education. Okay. Like what they try to, to write off as sex education um, is just full of misinformation, flat out lying, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so I did a video about some of the analogies that people use, like here, um, pass around these cookies, smash up the cookie. Now nobody wants the cookie because it's been, you know, crumbled. And, um, I was thinking about in my own efforts to be a sex educator where I have fallen short or failed. And there is this memory I have of you from class when you were my student where you helped me. You like corrected something that I was teaching about sexual anthropology. And it was one of the greatest gifts that anyone had given me as a teacher. Do you remember this? <laughs> no, but I'm grateful. Why? I'm excited. I'm standing by. What was it? Um, I don't remember what the correct term is. I only remember what the incorrect term was. But we're talking about a culture formerly known as Hottentots. Mm-hmm. And I think that you've shared with me that that is no longer politically correct and that there is a better name for them. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I mean, my father's from South Africa originally. My mother's from Montana. That's my connection to Southern Africa. Uh-huh. And in this day and age, it seems like there it's a hot topic when talking about cultures, even if you're referring to um, some of the words that are often used when you fill out a piece of paper, you know, just the other day. Are you white? Are you African-American? Are you this or that? Mm-hmm. And since I was a child, my father told me, you're African-American. Your father has... Has your father's family has been in South Africa since 1652? Your mother's American, so you're African American, and I've had to explain that to people since I was very little, and I'm through university as well in the same classroom that I was with you, but a different class I was taking at mm-hmm. the time. He said that I had missed it when I checked off, but I said no, my mother's American, my father's African, my skin might appear to be you know quite pale and I sunburn easily, but my family's been there for 400 years, so I just feel like when we talk about South Africa in this day and age, it's uh, we need to stick with hope for the new South Africa because oftentimes South Africans kind of go to the negative a lot of the times. So I'm not exactly sure what I said at that time, but I'm glad that it stuck with you. Yeah, it was so helpful. Oh, it's okay. Okay. It's okay. It's all good. Um, To give you a proper introduction, this is Mandela. She has a podcast of her own called A Trail Less Traveled in which you do interviews with people all over the world because um, you have a lot of experience with other cultures, traveling as a raft guide all over the world, specifically spending a ton of time on the Grand Canyon. You're away from Montana, but here for a few months every year. And at one point, 
You took my class. Yeah. To, to this day, one of my favorite classes, and I used to sneak my boyfriend into class. <laughs> yes. I'm going to tell her one of these days. When, this, when the moment's right, I'm going to tell her that I stuck my boyfriend in, and he enjoyed it tremendously. That's a compliment. I take that. Up. Yeah, I love class crashers. I think that um, the university, you know, gets the amount of money that they get. And why not have more people getting the education fill those seats? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the beautiful things, too, though, Lindsay, I just realized this, that we were not together at the time, that we were just kind of friends who were crushing on each other. You and your partner? Yeah. Ah. So I, I took him to the class. I think he was quite excited about going to my human sexuality class with me. Yeah. Ooh. I didn't realize that, but we were not together at the time. We were mates for about four years, and then we realized we liked each other at 22, and now it's been nine and a half years of, of you know, independent travel and sometimes together and living in a school bus which living in a school bus in Missoula in the winter is a great way to see if you're compatible with someone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds cold. A bit cold, yeah. But, you know, body heat, you got to stay warm. And uh, it's a short bus, so it's not a full-size bus as far as, like, heating it is concerned. And nowadays we travel to warmer places in the colder times of the year. Mm-hmm. And I house it uh, in Missoula for three months of the year. And I'm just grateful to be here in this community because... It's kind of hard to live out of a duffel bag and be on the river for most of the year. So I'm grateful for the grounding that this community provides. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So you're on the river for the majority of the year. Yeah. Multiple rivers or... Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this year uh, I went with Wesley to Australia and we surfed together and we would surf in the morning and then I would go do my interviews in the afternoon. Oh, for um, your podcast. Yeah. And I was just interviewing Indigenous Aboriginal Australians. And that's a series I've been working on for a long time. But after that, I flew to Morocco to guide on the Ahansal River, which is in the middle Atlas Mountains. And it's a very steep, technical, low volume river. And then from there, I flew to Montana, got my car, drove to Grand Canyon and was on the Grand Canyon from May until just about two weeks ago. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, civilization, driving again and, uh, you know, talking with people. It's it's sometimes quite a challenge to go from living in the bush and sleeping outside. And, like, since June, I've had 12 encounters with rattlesnakes, really close ones, where they were underneath my, you know, my bag. And more recently, I took my last bath of the season, a very sacred bath, and I was reflecting all, all the snakes I had seen. Took my clothes off and I put them down on a place I thought was safe. And her animal soaked up in the river and I hear this buzz. And here's a three foot Grand Canyon pink, which is an endemic species of rattlesnake to Grand Canyon. Crawling out from under my clothes, looking at me sideways as it crawls away. Uh-huh. And I saw it curled up underneath a rock. And from there, I found out from a medicine man that I had a lot of healing ahead. So I went on a motorcycle journey around Arizona and did a bunch of polyp eye sweats. And uh, yeah. Just, <laughs> I died on different rivers to answer your question. Yeah. <laughs> Are you the most interesting person everyone knows? I don't reckon. No, I mean, I think that hopefully the intention of the trail I've traveled is giving people a voice in remote locations around the world that might not otherwise have one, mm-hmm. you know, and realizing that everybody has a story. And so maybe it's a woman who's been sitting on the ground in India for 35 years cutting coconuts with a machete, but her story is phenomenal. She, to many in the West, doesn't have anything, but she really has everything because she has her happiness and she has her health. And, you know, I feel like in the West, we struggle a lot with contentment. So it's just these little teeny wake up calls that I hope that I can help share when I interview these people. Yeah. And they, to me, 
are the most fascinating, you know, and they inspire me so much when I walk away, the idea that more can hear the show and be inspired about someone else's story and someone else's perspective, Mm -hmm. which relates back to what we're talking about today. You know, we all have different perspectives. We all um, have a different experience depending on where we came from. And I don't know, as we evolve. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. (laughs) I, I feel like a very young child when I'm around you. I'm just so curious and in awe. And I feel like there's so much that you have to share and show. I don't, I'm just like, just keep talking. Tell me all the things. I'm specifically curious about anything you've learned around sexuality with all the people that you're meeting and all the places that you've gone. Yeah. Well, um, I grew up in the bush in South Africa. So my mother is from Montana. My father's from Africa. We went back and forth. So I grew up on a nature reserve at the most southern point of the continent of Africa. And it is kind of cliche. It was a thatch hut. There were sand dunes. There was a CB radio, solar panels, a well. And it was just my mother and my father and I. For most of my childhood, I was naked with a lot of sunscreen on. <laughs> and I had trouble going to school in the States because we would go from Africa for six months. And then I would go to a public school in Billings, Montana. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So it was quite the juxtaposition. How and Billings? What, what, why Billings? <laughs> because my mother had a house in Billings and they thought it was a good place to raise a kid. I was born in San Francisco and mm-hmm. they moved it to Billings when I was two because they thought San Francisco wasn't a great spot to raise a child. And so they wanted it to be in Billings. And uh, upon reflection, it would have maybe behooved the situation if there was more diversity, but we got that diversity by going to Africa, you know, Mm -hmm. and there is diversity in Montana. There's beautiful diversity, Mm -hmm. especially in Eastern Montana. You just have to be willing to listen. Yeah. But uh, I was really shy as a child. I couldn't even answer the telephone. And I struggle with that still, not necessarily in a situation like this, but maybe going to a, going to a party. Mm-hmm. Like, oh gosh, I got to go in and talk to people. And I've been on the river for, you know, seven months to a year at times and sometimes hard to relate, but no worries. Like Eleanor Roosevelt said, you do one thing every day that scares you. So I try to do that. And growing up, I uh, was quite shy and quite tall and I, um, got my first kiss when I was 22 mm-hmm. and that was with my partner who I'm actually still with. So I've actually only ever kissed and held hands and been with one person, yeah. Wesley. And, uh, we were friends for four years. We used to kayak together. I remember him used to tell me about the girls that he had crushes on. And I just thought, stop telling me. <laughs> Tell her how you feel, but don't tell me anymore. And then it took four years to realize, yeah, we both had crushes on each other. And then we were made to spoon for a month. And, you know, six months later, I finally lost my virginity. And and then right after I lost my virginity, I said, I'm going to Africa because it is my dream to guide big water there. And I remember I didn't want to have a boy get in the way of my dreams. So it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, you know. It cried a lot. And I went to Africa and I did guide white water on the Orange River Gorge which marks the boundary line between Namibia and South Africa. It slices through the Southern Kalahari and Namib deserts. It's one of the most remote locations, remote locations in the world. And I definitely appreciate small things about people um, all around the world to this day. You know, um, I'll admit that I, you know, I guess you could call it a crush, but like fell in love with a lot of the hands, 
of the men from Zimbabwe who I guided with and didn't do anything else other than appreciate their hands. What, what about their hands? Oh, just beautiful, long, strong fingers that the color of Ethiopian coffee beans on, you know, the top of their hands and the color of Nicaraguan coffee beans on the bottom of their hands. And I mean, it just sounds sexual, but I didn't do anything with them. I just appreciated yeah. them from afar. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I came back to the United States and for the past almost 10 years, Wesley and I have been sometimes together mm-hmm. while traveling more recently in Australia, we've been enjoying surfing together and then we definitely travel solo and, when I first got with Wesley, he asked me what would prevent us from staying together forever. And I said, we need to spend time alone too. You know, like it's important to me to have solo adventures because I grow so much when I'm traveling alone and kind of forced into making new friends and learning the language and not being in my safe bubble of, you know, being near someone I know. So, yeah. uh, what was the question though? <laughs> sexuality and how would I've learned? Yeah. Mm. It sounds like a lot of your education has come from your own experiences, but it's not even learning from other people about the, about sexuality, but just learning from listening to yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I come from a pretty dedicated and semi-strict background of Ashtanga yoga and in the limbs of Ashtanga yoga. So in Sanskrit, Ashto means eight, Anga means limb, yoga can be translated many different ways, but one of my favorite translations is union. So it's like this beautiful tree with eight limbs that's growing up towards Samadhi, you know, contentment. Mm. And in the West, we often skip the first, the foundation of the practice. We go to the third limb, which is asana, the posture. But in the classes I uh, have been sharing with my students recently, uh, reminding them that the first thing a yogi practices is ahimsa, which means non-harming and action, speech and thought to yourself and to others. So that definitely is in the forefront of my sexuality. Um, and then upon reflection of the word brahmacharya, brahmacharya can mean celibacy for some, but one of my favorite teachers defines it as moderation and kind of the way I look at it is I'm really being selective about who I share my sexual energy with. And when I'm not having sex with Wesley, when I'm traveling, most often I'm trying to turn that sexual energy more so into my yoga practice. And it, you know, you can define it in many different ways, but some of the teachers I've had said that it can actually be like supernatural powers when you suppress some of those um, energies in a healthy way mm-hmm. and uh, you redirect it into your breath and movement and whatever your practice is. It doesn't have to be yoga. But recently I had an encounter with a witch doctor in the underground of Marrakesh. And this witch doctor, he told me that my um, bodily fluid, we have, what's the word from that, Lindsay? Uh, like vaginal fluid? Like vaginal fluid. Okay. <laughs> he said that my vaginal fluid could be used to heal myself, you know? So if my knee hurts or if I have a pimple, that I should actually take my vaginal fluid and put it on my knee or put yeah. it on my pimple. That it's the own, it's this beautiful, he, I mean, his English was pretty messy. You know, his, <laughs> his English was a little bit off. He called it salsa at first. <laughs> and then it's just like, oh, oh, no, 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 let's use a different word. <laughs> The whole point was that your body produces this medicine. It's there for you. It's free and that you should embrace it. So I'm just very open to different perspectives, be it with that witch doctor in Marrakesh or maybe, you know, the the witch doctors that I encounter or medicine men, depending on where you are in the world in Cuba. Mm -hmm. 
and their perspective on Santeria and this religion that came over from West Africa, the Spanish, you know, in um, the Spanish colonized Cuba, they brought over slaves from West Africa and they brought their religion with them. And it's it's an amazing religion, but like I try to practice ahimsa, non-harming. And here I am with this witch doctor in Havana who I wanted to get my, uh, my, my warriors awoken. And you don't have to practice Santeria yet to do this, but it's, you're getting your um, guerreros awakened and it involves an animal sacrifice. And my brother told me this cause he's been going to Cuba for 20 years. And I'm like, but wait, what, what kind of animal are we talking about here? Like, a, like a puppy dog or like a, like a turkey, you know, <laughs> not that there's a difference between the two, but he said, probably a rooster, maybe a lamb. And I'm like, Oh, I'm not sure about the lamb, but it ended up being a rooster and they rubbed the rooster all over me and there was cut its head off and there was a lot of blood. And then we drank and sat in that same room and drank guava juice for like an hour afterwards while there was like just dead chicken laying on the floor and kind of just moved on to the next thing. And I just think it's absolutely phenomenal. All the different perspectives that these cultures around the world have on how you might treat some ailment or how you might awaken someone, a guardian to protect you. Or, you know, how you might um, approach sexuality. I'm very open to hearing about it, but I'm also pretty selective about where I use my my sexual energy. And how's that working for you? How's it working? Yeah. Um, well, in full honesty, I mean, I've been with the same person for nine and a half years. And Wesley <laughs> said it was okay for me to, you know, be completely honest with you. And I've been honest with him about this. Like, it's, it, it, I'm curious about what it would be like to be with someone else, you know, kiss them or hold their hand or just cuddle them, you know. But at the same time, I wonder, I might actually be with my soulmate because it's been nine and a half years and we're still madly in love. And we still really enjoy each other's company and miss each other, you know, and I feel a lot of that is spending time apart. Mm-hmm. Some of the best sex we have is after we've not seen each other for three to, you know, six months and then we come back and it's just like this light comes back alive and it's, 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 it's always pretty good, but it's still, it's so exciting when you haven't seen them for a long time, you know, and you don't always get to have whatever you want to refer to um, something you look forward to, you know, like, I'm always going to have, I don't know, I don't want to say cake, but I watched that video with you where talking about cakes and slices of cake. And, <laughs> you, you don't always get, you get a, I don't always get to have sex because my practice is um, monogamy. But, you know, like as I evolve as a human, that might change. Yeah. You know, like I'm very open to that. And um, at the moment, that's our practice. But I hope that we continue to grow together. And if we don't grow together and we start growing apart, then we realize that. And as healthy people, we communicate that and, you know, explore other options. But right now I think it works, but I will be honest that I am curious about what it would be like to just be with someone else. I think that's great. I'm a huge advocate of curiosity. Yeah. And you've been with the same person your entire sexual development. I mean, uh, action wise, I think there's probably third, fourth and fifth options in there, but it doesn't have to be um, monogamy or bust. Yeah. Hopefully the two of you can find places to, Mm -hmm. to explore your curiosity and still be madly in love with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I asked Wesley, you know, like, how do you, cause he asked me to marry him the first month we were together. And I said, said, no, because we hadn't had an argument yet. We hadn't, I don't, I don't think we'd kissed, we had kissed yet and we hadn't traveled together. And I just kind of feel like traveling together and having arguments and getting through them important things before I, I would make a commitment like that. But we both come from di- divorced kind of families. So mm-hmm. maybe that is influencing why we are still not married. But he didn't ask me. And I 
you know, I, I'm pretty sure I said no. It was kind of a roundabout way of saying no. Um, <laughs> but I asked him, how do you know that I'm the one that you want to be with forever? And he said, because he had been with so many others that he, that's how he knew. And so he's encouraged me if, you know, if I don't know, maybe I should go, you know, and explore with other people. But yeah, I think that, I think that it's phenomenal just where we've come since, you know, nine years ago when I remember sitting in the bus after being in your class. And like, I think we wrote like a, yes, I'm up for this list. And no, I'm not up for this list. Yeah. And I might've learned that from your class. What will, won't list. Yeah. Yeah. And so we wrote down that, like, we were both not going to do anything with anal sex. Mm -hmm. And now nine years later, I find out that Wesley only says that, said that because he heard me first say that. And then he didn't want to admit that he was kind of curious, you know? And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, maybe we'll explore that. So that's on the plate right now. We're, you know, trying to research that. Yeah. Googling. Good. <laughs> there are some explanations videos. There's an anal prep okay. that just helps you get your asshole ready. Um, yours or his both. Mm-hmm. And then there's an anal sex video and there are anal toy videos. There's yeah. I'm going to definitely, I'll be watching that with him soon. Good. Awesome. I'm excited for, for your butts. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So have you updated your want, will, won't list Mm-mm. with each other since, what, what was it, 10 years ago yeah. when you weren't dating, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. It came up because one of my friends was talking to me about um, inserting my fingers into his anus to stimulate him and how amazing that could be for him. And so that was mm-hmm. kind of like completely new news to me. And so we've talked about that. We haven't actually done it yet, but just kind of talking about it was one of the first kind of scary things. Yeah. Can, but when you've been with someone for so long, it doesn't really seem terribly scary to talk about. I don't want to be with someone really where it's like scary to talk about stuff like that. Like yeah. I want to be pretty comfortable talking about stuff like that. And that's another fear of mine too, Lindsay, is if like, if it doesn't work out, it took a long time to trust and connect and want to be with, with Wesley. And I, I wonder if it wasn't, you know, him, how long it would take for me to bond with someone else. It would probably take a long time. I'm probably friends with them currently, actually. I don't know who that would be, but mm-hmm. it would take a long time for me to trust someone again. I don't know. That just might be where I grew up. But I do remember as a child in Africa being in an HIV AIDS clinic. And this memory is so vivid to me. And I was thinking about this recently. And I saw someone who was struggling with AIDS, I believe my parents explained it to me and they, they, they looked like they were about to lose their life and they were sitting in the clinic and they weren't really being helped that much. And someone, some roundabout way, someone explained to me what happened and I'm not sure if they explained it correctly to me, mm-hmm. but this little kind of fear of getting sick because I had sex with someone was put into my mind when I was small. And maybe that comes back to our original topic, you know, like, only chew one piece of gum because no one wants to chew someone else's gum. Yeah. You know, we're both, I love what you said in your video about like, we're both gum, you know, like not just one person, the woman and the man or whoever, we're both gum. So I think that just from a very early age, I can't terribly explain it to you. I can't explain it to you fully, but there was a fear of STDs and AIDS from growing up in South Africa from that one situation. And then many others afterwards, and some of the programs that they've done in South Africa to try to um, encourage people to use condoms haven't really worked. Like, for example, one, they had a piece of paper that explained how to use the condom, but they stapled the condom in its, um, in its mm-hmm. packaging onto the piece of paper. So now, 
you know, there's a hole inside the condom. And, uh, so I don't know who explained this to me when I was really little. I don't know if it was my parents. I, I don't, I don't think it was, but there was a lot of just interactions with people who were sick in Southern Africa and just seeing that really affected me when I was little. And just upon reflection, I think it might've been a fear of, of having sex because I could get sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That all I am envisioning in my head right now is taking a condom that has been stapled and filling it with water and showing that there's not just one hole there, but there's probably 20 mm-hmm. because of how many rotations there are. Well, I guess if you go through the center, then it's only going through the tip. Okay. So maybe the only two holes. I don't think this is a current thing that South Africa's <laughs> No, I know. That was made. It is. You know? And we do it in the States too. And I've seen um, people traveling around East Africa with, with dildos in their suitcases and kind of like curious, you know, like they're pretty open about it. The whole bag is full of them. And why are, you know, why, why do you have so many of those with you right now? And it's because they're an educator who was going around to villages and schools all over East Africa and demonstrating putting a condom on a banana. And then uh, people were coming back and not very happy because they still got pregnant or got an STD. And it's and they explained what they did. They took a banana and they put the condom on it and they put the banana with the condom on it next to the bed. Yeah. And so they you know, changed their approach just to make it very clear. And that's a good thing uh, when it comes to language barriers. Yeah. You know, and I think I really I have a full hope when it comes to Africa and um, be it education about um, protect, uh, protected sex or, you know, uh, the new, I don't know, embracing, uh, the new South Africa and not com- constantly falling into the negative, which a lot of people kind of do these days. Just, we have so many people doing good out there that I think more energy maybe could be reflected on that than all the negatives. Yeah. I'm getting off topic a little bit. How often do you go back? To South Africa? Mm-hmm. I used to go back every year to go guide and visit my family. And then maybe five years ago, I realized that I wanted to put my money, which there's not that much of it because I'm a river guide full time, towards places I hadn't been and guiding in a new country every year. And so wow. I haven't been back in five years. And, and I look forward to going back soon, hopefully driving across Namibia with my dad. He's been driving around Southern Africa with my little sister who's 13. And we're so different. We look so alike, but my little 13 year old sister, you know, I think she got her first kiss when she was eight and she's not, you know, shy at all. And she's got a boyfriend. She's like 13 years old. I think it's so rat. Like we're so totally different. And I look up to her in so many ways, you know, but I remember when I told my gynecologist, when I went in for my first annual Mm -hmm. and we went into her office and she like asked me, she wasn't even looking at me. She, I think she was looking down at a piece of paper and she asked me how many partners I had. And I I said one, she like kind of slammed her pencil down, took her glasses off and looked at me. She's like, what really? And she was just super surprised. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that that was, you know, such a surprise for you. And apparently she hadn't met anyone like that before. And I'm not like, I'm not proud of it. I'd like to have, I think I'd like to have had other partners before I met Wesley, but here we are. Yeah. Pretty content. It sounds like it. (laughs) Yeah. I think, uh, people have sexual, what what do we call it? Debuts at all ages. Um, my guess is with your gynecologist, it's less about the age and more about your appearance. I think society has a judgment toward people who look like you. Um, because so people are listening, they can't see you, but you are a tall, beautiful, long haired blonde 
um, who's very successful and independent and like you said, content, like you exude joy. And so I think that it's really hard to fathom. Oh, like what? People haven't filled this person with dick? How is this possible? <laughs> it's not fair. It's definitely a bias that society has. But um, yeah, I, I do think that there is some of that. And I, I love that you have actually had an experience that breaks that bias or that assumption so that people can relate in, in all the different ways and understand that like your age or your appearance or your experience, none of that determines when things will necessarily happen. And we all, we all get to be unique and have our own rules. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. Yeah. How was your first gynecologist experience beyond that? Well, I'm just grateful for the wallpaper. Really? It was, um, <laughs> I'll still remember. I memorized, you know, it was uh, a, a Nantucket beach scene with an umbrella and this beautiful chair that I was kind of imagining myself sitting in like this. Uh-huh. Very, it was, it was, it was positive. Um, was that here in Missoula? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that you had a positive experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've had, I, I have an IUD right now and that was to this day, one of the most, um, frightening uh, experiences getting, getting that in and out. You know, I think I, when it was, when it was placed in, it was quite painful. So I have mad admiration for people who have given birth or have kids. And I, I think I would be a good mother, but I'm a little bit afraid of growing a human inside of me right now and then providing for them because my, my boyfriend and I have a school bus. That's our main home. <laughs> live in a, you know, I live on the river most of the year and that's what I do. That's, that's, that's what I do. And I love it. And, yeah. I'm, and I, I teach yoga, I do radio and none of the things I do feel like work. And if they did, I, I probably wouldn't do it. Oh, that's know? wonderful. I feel the same way right? about my life. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I would like to have a child one day, maybe inshallah, but my mother had me when she was 45 years old. So in the back of my head, I have plenty of time. Yeah. My mother was 45. My dad was 28. I, was a, I guess if, when you're thinking about, you know, society, sometimes when I tell people that they get really surprised, but yeah, that's how it was. And she had a pretty easy childbirth mm -hmm. was in label for labor, labor for an hour and a half. And, uh, were you her first? And only, yeah. My mother was a flight attendant for 40 years with United Airlines. And she flew while she was pregnant with me until pretty late in pregnancy. And then gave birth at 45 and had a really quick labor and pretty easy childbirth. So. Ugh, and I, you are so special. Yeah. Lindsay. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the doctors were worried uh, about her having a child later in life. But a lot of my friends are having children in their 40s as well. And. I don't, I just, I, I don't really see that as a, I don't have any time. Like I'm, I'm feeling the pressure okay. so much of that. I need to have a child, a little bit of pressure that I need to buy a house in Missoula. Or else <laughs> I'm going to be out of luck, but, uh, yes, it's fun to talk to Wesley about, you know, maybe one day, but let's have a nest and what would we call our child? But, uh, I think I'm going to practice first with a plant and then, uh, <laughs> dog, you know, yeah. and, and then maybe that will happen. And maybe I'll adopt, but uh, no, I'm not attached with it to whatever ends up happening. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you can take the child on the adventures too, like your parents did. Yeah, they did that with me. Yeah, it's true. But I cannot take them on the river so so much. Mm -hmm. So I need to 
Well, I'm trying to mm, manifest a job in addition to guiding that doesn't feel like work, which might be teaching. Mm-hmm. I might, I'd like to teach maybe world history or geography, but some kind of job that would um, make it so that I'm not living on a raft for 10 months of the year in order to make enough money to travel and record the next adventure. Yeah. Maybe something a little bit more stable, mm-hmm. which partially is not something I've never done. So, you know, since I was born, I've been traveling all the time because of my parents and then, then in college continued that. And after college up a little bit more because of the radio series. So something new for me would be to sit still. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I like the wanderlust. I also enjoy rafting. I don't know that I could do it for nine months of the year, but whatever. You're, you'll make it work. It'll be great. Thank you. For yeah. The encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just gonna keep keep chipping away at it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I for a while at coming back to sex, coming back to like Wesley, I definitely struggled with this. You know, could I only be with one person for the rest of my life? And a lot of the yogis who I was studying with in in India, they told me the answer that I actually was not expecting to hear. I kind of expected these yogis to be like, yes, but all of them said no. (laughs) I was not expecting that because some of my teachers in India want me to practice celibacy, you know, Mm -hmm. which I'm not going to do. Like I, Lindsay, gave up chocolate when I was 17 for five years and I oh yes I love chocolate I love chocolate I leading up to the giving up of it I had like a chocolate mousse thing at the depot it's like all right midnight's the time gave it up for five years because I wanted to make sure that my mind was more was stronger than my desire and oh my goodness see that for me giving up chocolate that would be maybe harder than celibacy but okay keep going and so I was for a while considering taking celibacy vows. Um, and then I realized I cannot give something up that I don't even know really what I'm giving up. You know? So I didn't like set out there to get laid. I, I, I just knew that I didn't really know what I'm giving up if I give up sex. Mm-hmm. I knew what I was giving up when I gave up chocolate. And I thought about it every time I saw a chocolate, I could taste it in my mouth. And then after giving up chocolate for five years, eating it again, I mean, really, there's, there's very few things in life that can compare to eating a good chocolate. You don't have, you haven't had one for five years, let alone oh you only have goodness. chocolate every now and then. That's amazing. So that, you know, not five years, but five months without sex from West, that's one of the most beautiful things in the world when, you know, we meet in some country and, you know, make love on the beach. I mean, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm kind of more into quality than quantity. And I'm very much of a romantic. So, you know, I'm all about like setting off on horseback and laying the blanket down and, you know, or motorcycles more often these days. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, riding a motorcycle is pretty much a turn on. For yeah. Yes. The vibrations. For yeah. Straddling something strong between your legs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Works for our relationship. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, but yes, giving up chocolate. And so I didn't set out with this intention that I needed to go and have sex, but I definitely was a little bit more open to it. Mm-hmm. And then, then there was, it was, you know, we had been friends for four years and it took a long time. It took like an hour, uh, almost a year of trying to figure out what exactly does this boy want? 
keeps asking me out on dates, but then there's other girls there. And I don't understand. Yeah. You know, and then finally we realized it and, and then I had sex and I don't plan on giving uh, sex up for an indefinite period of time. You don't have to. Oh, good. Fabulous. So your yogi instructors told you, yes, other people. Not the instructors. Some of the instructors are for, most of my teachers say moderation Mm -hmm. is the way to define brahmacharya. Some teachers say it's celibacy. Some say it's just one partner. I like moderation. I like that word. Not necessarily the quantity of the sex, but like who you, just being mindful of who you decide to share with, I guess. That's my practice. That's the way I like to define it. But the, the, the woman who I was practicing with, who uh, had been practicing for 20 more years than I had, I just ran it by them and I was expecting them to say that, yes, yes, that's good. One person, but they all said no, <laughs> that I should experience other people. So I thought about that for many years and um, I didn't act on it. I mean, I have karma tattooed on my wrists right here. Okay. So I'm not going to, you know, do an action like that because I, I do believe that it would come right back at me. And my heart has been broken before and I wouldn't want anyone to experience that. Well, consensually, you could um, experiment consensually. It reminds me of your relationship to South Africa mm-hmm. because you had this commitment to run the rivers there and go back and see your family for all of these years over and over and over, right? It's very much a part of your identity. It's it's your maybe your first love, right? Mm-hmm. And at some point you said, okay, I'm going to invest in other places to see more of the world and experience new rivers. Oh, aha. A moment just happened. Wow. That was a good sex analogy. Not yeah, a that bad. That was really good. Okay, good. Wow. Have I redeemed myself a little? That's brilliant. Good. Wow, I might not even be able to talk for the rest of the podcast. I'm just going to be thinking about <laughs> Like, oh, shit. Wow. Who's my next river? Mm. Well, I do have many rivers that I my gaze wanders to, and I appreciate their energy and their hands and being around them. But I have yet met someone who I want that close since Wesley, you know. So if that happened and I felt that, I, I, I would probably listen to my intuition. Yeah, And Wesley and I have such a groovy relationship that I, I, I feel pretty comfortable talking to him about it. But for the record, I'm, I'm pretty stoked right now. I'm pretty grateful to, uh, to have been with someone for, you know, 10 years and to still like, he's hunting right now looking for elk mm-hmm. and I miss him, you know, but a healthy missing. I'm like, oh, I don't need him, but it'd be <laughs> kind of cool if he was there and a little bit warmer, you know? <laughs> yeah. So tell him to hurry up, get his elk, come home. You'll help him. Is he hunting here or someplace else? He's hunting. Uh, it's a secret spot, but it oh. is like three hours from here. Okay. But that's the thing is I would never tell him to hurry up because I would never want him to tell me to hurry up with what I'm doing. Oh, relationship goals. That's beautiful. The other nights, I, I don't even remember what I was doing. I think I was doing a workshop or something. And he was hanging out with this, 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 uh, the gentleman and he asked him when I was coming home and Wesley said he didn't know. And he's like, Oh, well, that's a surprise. Like most people know when their partner's coming home, but I just kind of know that he is. And if he doesn't like, just hope he's well wherever he is. And it took a long time to get to that point. You know, like there was definitely after there was a little bit of heartbreak, heartbreak in the, in the beginning. And uh, to recover from that was just, for me, realizing that I was okay for 22 years without this person in my life and I'm going to be okay again. It would probably hurt quite a lot, but I, I would be okay independently again. 
And to be honest with you, I'm independent for the most part. So it's just nice. We compliment each other. You know, he has his life. I have mine. We get together. Yeah. You add to each other rather than completing each other because you're already complete. Hopefully. And we can many lifetimes working on that, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so precious. I want to be that cool. I'll get there. I want to be as cool as you, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll swap oh, one of these days. Oh, my goodness. Amazing. Uh, how's your kegel life? Main squeeze, squeeze it good. Oh. Well, in part of the practice of Ashtanga, we do we engage what's called Mula Banda. And so Uriana Banda is sucking your, your navel into your core and controlling that prana, that energy in your core so that so the stomach doesn't just fall out. So you're controlling okay. your center line. And then Mulabanda, the best way that I can describe it for you guys right now would be engaging the anus, engaging the vagina, and, and controlling that energy from inside you. So for the best way for me to explain it to a, a, someone who's new to Mulabanda would be like, say you're in a yoga class and you had some lentils before class. And you really <laughs> need to fart, but you're embarrassed for some reason about farting. By the way, it's okay to fart in yoga. It's part of it. Okay. Um, and so you hold that in. That's Mulabanda. So you control that in. So I think that it's pretty tight because you have to engage it for like the entire practice. Ideally. The whole practice? The yeah. whole... What, Mulabanda. Yeah. What is the practice? Like an hour? The practice is uh, traditionally six days a week for about two hours a, a, a day in the morning with the rising sun or the setting sun. Six days a week in- for two hours mm-hmm. with the rising sun. You are scooping your vagina and anus and guts up into your uh, rib cage and holding it there for two hours? Inshallah, ideally. But I struggle with it. It's hard to remember. Mula Banda is one of the hardest bandhas to remember and to engage. So Banda in Sanskrit means lock. So it's like locking the prana in. And the easiest one is Mula, is Uriyana Banda. Uriyana means to lift up. So it's like you're sucking your navel in and it curls up through the heart. That's one of the easiest ones to remember. And then Mula Banda, we often need reminders. I need reminders about Mula Banda, just Mula Banda. And it, it comes into play when you're you're doing some uh, asanas where you really need to move the energy internally. And you're pressing your hands into the earth and you're lifting the legs up. Mula Banda, you know? <laughs> like, it's hard to explain on a podcast. <laughs> I love it, though. <laughs> It's brilliant. Every time you said it, I lifted it up. Yeah. Yeah. Hold it in. The root banda. Strong. Okay. So banda means lock. Yeah. What's mula again? Mula, I think, means root. There's many different ways that you can can translate it. Uriana banda means to lift up. And then the last one is called Jandalahara Banda. And that's where you, you tuck your chin into your chest and it's hard to talk. It's like when you're in a shoulder stand, uh-huh. that's often Jandalahara Banda. But the one that is often mentioned in a beginner class would be Uriyana. Because Ashtanga Yoga can be a little intimidating at first for some people. So when we're talking about sucking the anus and the vagina in on the first class, um, sometimes people get a little overwhelmed. So we start with Uriyana Banda and mm-hmm. controlling that lock. And then later on, Mula Banda becomes more and more important when you really are trying to channel the energy inside you and use it to lift you up energetically, not not muscularly, you know. Mula Banda. So you're, for, 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 for um, Bakasana, you know, with the hand pose, we're not pressing the hands into the earth necessarily. You're 
Mulabandhu is sucking up through the vagina and the anus and it lifts up energetically, right? In podcast, I just did something about the floor for these guys. But... That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you just positioned yourself onto your hands with your legs up, balanced, yeah, on your elbows. But he, tight. He you to... were so tight. And it's that internal tightness, right? That mulabanda. We, we suck it in and lift up energetically, not with the the visible the vis, the visible arms, the visible muscles. Like, how can we move the energy inside of us? Mm. So I think that the kegels are going well. I don't have like a kegel thing. <laughs> that that works. Okay. What you just did <laughs> is the kegel thing. Okay, cool. <laughs> that was brilliant. So perfect. Oh, wow. The energy that you bring to that is incredible. I haven't ever taken your yoga class, but I can only imagine that people are in awe of you and want to want to be better at the practice because they're inspired. I hope that you're able to come to a class one day. I, I don't, I, again, I don't talk about Mulabanda on the first class. But if you <laughs> ever are in my class, I will talk about Mulabanda. If someone has a penis, how do you describe it differently? It would be um, in between the reproductive organs and the anus. So you're sucking the anus in and then also kind of sucking in that, that, that Oh, the zone. perineum. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I, I don't throw too many um, fancy words out there. I try to keep it kind of simple because... Many of my teachers in India don't speak English mm-hmm. um, like uh, fully, mm-hmm. and so their English is a little bit more basic, which I love when it comes to talking about yoga. Yeah, because often to talk about yoga, we must talk in riddles, you know. And so I'll just refer to that area between the anus and the reproductive zone, mm-hmm. and a lot of people can understand what I'm talking about when I mention that. Yeah, the taint, the gooch, all of those all slang that. terms that people use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That is so cool. Any other sex things related to India or yoga? <sighs> well, there's. I'm sure there are. Um, I've, never, <laughs> I've never read the Kama Sutra. I've got a lot of books that I need to read. And um, I don't know how it plays into my sex life. I mean, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways in which the sexual energy... Um, changes after I've been celibate for so long, but it's not like I'm doing some fancy. I think people might have talking about like assumptions. People might have an assumption that, you know, Oh, your girlfriend's a yogi. You guys must have some wild sex. And I don't know, you know, I'm pretty, pretty flexible, but like, we don't actually have a book that we go by. (laughs) People make the same presumptions about me. Oh, your girlfriend's a sexologist. Probably have all sorts of kinky things going on. I'm pretty vanilla. Mm-hmm. I do enjoy sex, though. Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Up there with snorkeling and corgi puppies. Some of the... Corgi puppies? Well, yeah. I mean, just like things that I appreciate. Yeah. I like snorkeling. I like corgi puppies. I like sex. Chocolate? Yes. Not as much as I used to. Huh? But those chocolate-covered pecans at the good food store? My goodness. Have you ever had any of those? No. I'll try. Yeah, but I warn you, you try one of those, there's no going back. <laughs> and they don't mind if you do a little sample, as long as you don't stick your fingers in there. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good to know. One last thing before we go. Yeah. Sex extra credit. Now you can practice at home. Dr. Doe gives you sex credit. An assignment that you give to the audience that we all work on between now and the next episode. Mm-hmm. Well, uh... 
I might end up coming with two things, but the, the first thing that I would say is do one random act of kindness, maybe once a day, if you can, or just once this winter, spring, summer. And that might be giving someone a flower that might be um, being at the grocery store, checking out and the person who's checking you out has beautiful eyes and just finding the courage to tell them they have beautiful eyes from a space that is not sexual or um, uh, might come off as you're hitting on them because mm-hmm. you could totally make their day. I mean, you might look at someone and say, wow, they're beautiful. And they don't need to hear that they're beautiful or they have, you know, beautiful eyes or a beautiful smile, but you really don't know what they're going through and how that could totally make their day. And it doesn't have to be a compliment about their looks. Mm-hmm. It could be anything. Um, and just, that's something I work on from my shyness. And I often hold back because I don't want this person to think that I'm, I'm flirting with them, mm-hmm. but I'm not. It's just coming from a space of, I want to share what I'm feeling right now with you. And so that would, would be what I would say, but uh, so sex, sex, credit, sex, sex for credit, mm-hmm. like in, in terms of sex. Yeah. Like I mean, but it could be anything, mm-hmm. right? Because I do think that random acts of kindness can affect a person's sexuality. Be that if they're asexual or polyam or bi, pan, whatever that is, mm-hmm. practicing monogamy, not having sex at all by choice. Yeah. Okay. So coming back to Eleanor Roosevelt's quote, do one thing that scares you every day. Uh, I was quite afraid for a long time of getting a bikini wax, you know, because I'm quite shy about being naked and I'm never in a swimsuit. <laughs> I'm working on this. It's, it's every day is getting better. But I thought, okay, I, I help so many of my guests in the Grand Canyon to face some of their fears. And that's partly why I do it, to see them overcome their fears. It's an incredible energy that they share with me without even knowing it. That's yeah. why you guide? Part of the, yeah. The re- one of the reasons I guide is I believe that the more people who experience these wild places, there'll be more people out there who will fight to protect them. And also these people are facing some of their biggest fears. Maybe it's they've never slept outside before or they're afraid of heights or they're afraid of water. A lot of the people I take down the Grand Canyon are afraid of, of water. And it's so inspirational to see them facing their fears. So here I am quite inspired to face my fears. So I thought, all right. I'm going to go to a spa in LA, in Alhambra, LA, where I get my toes painted sometimes by these wonderful Vietnamese women, and I practice my Vietnamese with them. And I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a bikini wax. Yes. So <laughs> oh my, my Vietnamese is really limited, and there was some kind of translation error, and suddenly uh, there was a whole bunch more being removed than the bikini. I ended up signing up for a Brazilian, and I had never even been waxed, and my hair was long down there, and I was like, man. She's like, oh, it's too late, you know? And it really was too late. (laughs) I was in tears. I remember being on all fours on this kind of massage table on Vietnamese newspaper, looking through this curtain that was so faded. I could actually see people on the other side of the curtain getting their toenails painted while I'm getting my anus waxed. And I'm like, how, Mandela, did you get yourself in this situation? Just like reflect here a little bit, you know, like, okay, we're doing something new and scary. This certainly is, and it's quite painful. I left that place having conquered one of the biggest fears of my life, you know? And then I thought, I'm never doing that again. Like that is never (laughs) happening again. And I heard from some people that you can actually have a pretty positive experience with getting a Brazilian. And, you know, and and the the pain was actually worth it because for me, sex was so much better with nothing down there. And it's different for everybody. But for me, it was like, whoa, yes. You know? So I thought, okay, let's go and do this again, but we'll actually go to a place where they specialize in it. You know, it's like nice music and some special wax and 
you're actually in a room by yourself. And so my homework for you is if you had a bad experience, you know, maybe it was with a wax or maybe it was, I don't know, with some kind of sex toy or something like that. Like maybe just try a different model or try a different place to get wax. Um, and not necessarily giving everything to chat through two tries, but, uh, <laughs> if you meditate on it you're maybe up for trying it again, it could be a really positive outcome. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> My cheeks hurt from smiling so much. <laughs> <laughs> my experience with waxing is on my legs and it was excruciating. I also have very thick, um, obnoxious hair that likes to hurt me, but I like your inspiring speech. Can I add something though? Yeah, of course. So, um, I kind of was in, I was digging getting my legs waxed and actually getting a Brazilian too for a long time. Uh, and it was nice because on the river, um, we like to say that the Colorado river is too thick to drink and too thin to plow. So it's like mud and mm -hmm. it really is. I'll get done with the Grand Canyon trip and I'm like, man, look how tan I am. And then I take a shower and no, <laughs> it was just dirt, you know? So we, we can't shave down there. You might dip your razor into the river once and then you do one little line on your leg and that's it. Yeah. That was, so you can't shave down there and there's bacteria and stuff like that. So oh, for a long time I was getting my legs waxed, but then I got my legs waxed and this woman went over the same section of my legs twice. And at, at the time I thought she was doing a really good job. Like she was getting the, the micro hairs, but later on I found out, and it's just something I want to share with everybody that you shouldn't be waxing over the same section twice because the first time it removes the dead layer of skin. Mm -hmm. And then if you do it again, it will actually remove your top layer of new skin cells. And then we all have staff on our bodies and that will, could potentially expose all of those uh, pores mm -hmm. to staff. So I end up, she only did my shins twice. Mm -hmm. And that same day I got a Brazilian. Luckily, this only happened to my shins because it was only my shins that she went over twice. Mm -hmm. But I ended up getting a, a very, very extreme staph infection on my shins with like a thousand pus-filled boils. I couldn't walk for a week. I ended up getting a systemic infection, um, you know, got really quite nauseous and ended up going on antibiotics over a period of uh, three different rounds of antibiotics. I did a round of antibiotics and then I went to um, New Zealand. I was guiding in a very remote area of New Zealand and had a call in and get my boyfriend Wesley to bring some more antibiotics. And now I'm all good. Now there's no scarring at all on my, my shins. I thought for a while there, I would never even wear a, a skirt again. I ended up buying some boots uh -huh. when I was in, in recovery just because I'd like to wear a skirt, but I wanted to cover my shins up and just not exposing my, my legs to the sun for a year and really taking care of it. And, uh, that was a negative experience yeah. with waxing that I think I should share with you as well. Like if it's an experience like that, maybe you don't go and do it again. Yeah. And so I haven't had my legs waxed since then. I don't think I'm ever going to do it again too, because I also realized in that process that it costs a lot of money to keep doing that, mm -hmm. but just be careful and make sure that when you do it, it's a clean environment and they're not waxing over the same section twice. And yeah, just in that first 24 hour period as well, keeping the area really clean, not letting your dog like lick your leg or anything like that. And, uh, I think I'm just a little bit more mindful of the pores and this assist um, how susceptible you might be to staph infection in environments like that from that negative environment, negative experience. But in turn, I learned quite a lot from it. So, wow. See, you have so many experiences, I think, because you are 
brave. Like you say that you're shy and I think that you maybe accept that part of you and you face it with courage. It's just amazing. Yeah. Thanks for being on this explanations podcast. I wish I could talk to you for 10 days. This is so lovely. And if you want to be able to kind of talk to Mandela for 10 days, you can go to a trail less travel.com dot net dot net net and read her bio and connect and listen to all the episodes 14 years worth right yeah um 365 episodes will have aired this sunday on <gasps> on fm radio in missoula so it's on the trail 133 here in missoula sunday nights at six mountain time you can stream live online at trail 133.com and yeah, it's, we try to record in a new country every year. Coming up now is Australia and Morocco and New Zealand and Panama. But um, yeah, the podcast is available wherever you get the podcasts. And I would love to hear from anyone who wants to talk about travel or has someone in their life that they admire and they'd like to interview. And kind of taking a step back and producing more so that people around the world are asking questions and listening to each other more, trying to get away from technology a little bit and get back to the human connection. So I'd love to hear from you. Please reach out. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you you also to our supporters at patreon.com slash explanations podcast, Ben Trammell, Donna Flint, Zip Wah and the Millers and Cora and Paro. I'm still learning. 